everyone to Fly Over Footy. We have a pretty normal show tonight, but I'm really excited to get started with it because we have, you know, the two games that we're going to talk about, one quickly and one extensively as we do, and then a lot of fun news to kind of follow up on the podcast version. Thanks for joining us on the big 550 KTRS. I have Matt Baker here with me. Matt, how's it going, man? Great, Phil. Happy to be here with you. Happy to talk about City's upcoming uh, road match against the Galaxy. Should be a good one. Uh, hopefully an exciting rematch. And, you know, it's just a, it's another exciting weekend of soccer in St. Louis with the national team here in town and training it at City Park, having a, the match on Saturday. Just a good time. Yeah, and you, you mentioned rematch here, and we have two rematches more or less to talk about yeah. because there was the Sporting Kansas City match that we're going to touch on here right now. But, of course, we like I said, we're going to extensively cover that match coming up against LA Galaxy in LA. Uh, but, Matt, let's, let's do these little short takes we do to kind of get everyone warmed up about the previous match. Of course, check out Flyover Fallout that comes out every Monday uh, that covers that match more extensively. But, you know, I don't get to do that show very often so far i haven't um and someday i'm sure i will but i get to get my two cents in here by by doing this which is my way of manipulating myself into the the conversation here <laughs> I, I love it i i, I would never want to steal the opportunity to uh, recap or review a match because there's always important things especially you figure out days later and you know a, a week on from this i think there are some important things to take away from this skc match in the short term most notably for me, it was the defensive lapses that occurred in some of those key moments. And I felt in the first half of the Sporting Kansas City match, we did a good job overall of our shape and progressing the ball and creating some chances. Not not a ton of chances, but the, the ones we did create, they were they were good to see things like Nugby Thorson stretch the field and go direct to goal. It was good to see Sam Denneron have some runs out there. But defensively, I think it was the version of Sporting Kansas City that attempted transition. It got St. Louis set up in certain ways, and then they they leveraged their possession-based offense to pull us out of position a little more. And, and you're going to mention, I think, some of the changes in the rotation of the lineup, but I, I was very disappointed in how... Uh, it, it was not a defensively sound team for the full 90, especially even the full, the first 45. There were moments where positionally we didn't seem to trust that other players would cover the positions that they were in appropriately. Hmm. You would see some of the fullbacks fold inside an awful lot. Markanic and Hebert on the left and right, respectively, they folded in. They covered positions that you would I would have ex- expected the center backs or the center mids to cover, and it seemed like we were. We were giving too much respect to certain Kansas City players like Eric Tommy, who at one point garnered, I think, six or seven defenders in and around him, while guys like Daniel Saloy roamed free on the wing. So things like that, where it is worrisome to me in context of the style of play that Sporting Kansas City has. And that's why it's one of my things to carry forward to the Galaxy match, because we're going to see a very possession-oriented Galaxy team this weekend and if we if we fall into the same trap, regardless of the rotation and the lineups and whatever happens personnel wise, I think that's where we could be in trouble. 
agree. And I'm glad you mentioned that that whole like putting three, four, five guys on on one opponent, uh, because I think that plays right into what I was going to talk about. And I think you just added to it a little bit because I hadn't thought of that. Just the fact that Kansas City, it was something that I had noticed ahead of this game. Usually what I say doesn't exactly lead to something directly. In this case, it did. So I got to mention it. And uh, the fact that SKC is really good at turnovers and that we've struggled against teams, especially earlier earlier in the season that are really good at turning the ball over the dual percentage. I think we're going to touch on. Um, and you know, Casey out did us in that way. Let me pull up this stat. Kansas city got 65 duels in this game. Um, one and St. Louis only had 48. So I think it was a pretty clear victory for St. Louis or for Kansas city in this game. And you know, when we see St. Louis, doubles and triples down on doubling and triple team, just isolating a player and counting on the press being so good that they're not able to get that ball out. Well, in this case, I think Kansas City was able to sneak through and perhaps their possession style was able to win over the um, the pressing style as well. Um, so I don't know you know, Kansas City won this one. It was still kind of close in my eyes because oh, both yeah. teams were playing the game that they wanted. I think it could have gone either way. I think there were some arguments about offsides that I think you guys probably covered <laughs> pretty thoroughly. Oh, yeah. um, so anyway, no disappointment here. And I do think, as you said, I was going to mention, um, you know, the fact that some players were coming out that uh, weren't expected to be changed. And the fact that we're still kind of in reincorporating Klaus, you know, three subs at the half when we were only down one goal i don't think um you know i don't think some of those were planned some of them weren't and either way we're still working our way back into our quote first team and it'll be interesting to see how that rotates i would even argue that we don't know what our first team is at this point i i think at the beginning of we've had iterations of what our first team looks like and that may be a really good takeaway because i was going to mention the fact that our team is vastly different with without leuven it was clear that the in regardless of the game flow which definitely changed after the sam and Deneron, uh, a call where he was offside and they took away our second goal. But Leuven was very, um, very intentional, very direct with his passing and his ability to move the ball and progress the ball in the second half. We didn't have that in the midfield in the first half. Hmm. We had a moment of Indiana Vasilev sending the ball upfield, and he's very adept at when he collects the ball, looking immediately high for an attacker, sprinting upfield and finding them. He's great at that, but we often miss in the midfield an ability for whether you call it a, a pivot at the mid or a true box to box who can play the ball, they can carry the ball and then they can find the open man or even just take the shot just outside of the box and make try to make something happen on his own because Leuven is so talented that he can do that. And we didn't see that individual skill in the first half. And that kind of leads to the overall discussion of our lineup. Like we know there are some mainstays in the lineup if everyone's healthy. I would list them as the holy grail of players, the unicorn lineup that we haven't quite seen yet <laughs> of Berkey, Nielsen, Parker, Blome, Leuven, and Klaus. So you have those six players. That's our spine. I don't think you would find any single person that would argue that those six players, if we were running out our best 11, would be in there. But who fills out the other five is the question. You have two fullbacks, so you're left with three other players, and you can positionally and formation-wise look to any number of looks that we could give from a 4-4-2, a 4-2-3-1, a 3-4-1-2, which I, I've kind of liked lately. But you're seeing guys like AZ Jackson, Nukvi Thorson, Jared Stroud, Rasmus Alm, Nico Joachini, Sam Adeneron, all Indiana Vasilev, all of these guys playing themselves into this conversation and regardless of who wins out in a best 11, quote unquote, 
that's to me personally why I don't necessarily harp as much now as I did at the beginning of the season on identifying a best 11 because whoever isn't in that lineup like Indiana Vasilev, Jared Stroud, Nukvi Thorson, if one of those guys or more one or more of those guys are not in the lineup to start with, I know we're going to see them in key crucial moments of the game. Game moments of the game where everything can change by an individual performance with fresh legs. And that's the benefit of the depth that City's been able to cultivate now that we have Thorson on board. We have Markanic who's showing some really exciting things on the left side and and still having good good matches from Rasmus Alm, Indiana Vasilev and Jared Stroud. I see a lot of opportunities and and knowing what our best 11 is, I think the Galaxy match is where I'm looking for a, a glimpse of that because Klaus you would expect to go more than 45. You have Tim Parker with the potential injury we're going to talk about in a moment. But other than that, everybody's basically healthy. And you're seeing this is, is and I'll mention it, this is probably one of our last remaining opportunities to get a best 11 where you don't have fixture congestion as um, a, a reason or an excuse. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's exactly that. I'm looking to see if this was a fixture congestion, you know, lineup rotated. I think most people thought that it was a rotated lineup. I think they were upset that it was rotated against Kansas City of all teams. I understand that frustration, but it needed to be rotated one way or another. So and um, and there weren't that many players rotated, to be fair. It was just a very odd looking lineup. Well, it just depends on how you look at it, because, again, we don't know that starting 11. Yeah, it's arguable. I would also say, though, that while those might be, in my opinion, our our six mainstays, it's pretty clear right now that at least Bradley Carnell views Kyle Hebert as a mainstay, someone who has to be in the lineup. And the fact that he started against Kansas City as a right back tells me that it doesn't matter what position he's going to be in. Bradley Carnell will find a way to keep him in the lineup. And that's the level of trust that Hebert has. Um, I think he's starting to get a little more pushback from fans than he did when Hebert debuted at left back because of the result. And, and it's it's almost poetic. Like, let's be honest. Hebert's first start as a left back was against Sporting Kansas City, where we beat them four to nothing. His first start at right back, we lost two to one against Sporting Kansas City. So there's a there's a bookend to this that I'm curious where he goes from here as far as his position and his uh, staying in that starting eleven. But I just found that fascinating, that kind of juxtaposition between the two SKC games. Completely agree. And it leads us into our next section here is it looks like perhaps there hasn't been news on Markanik's injury, but we do have other injury news to give. So I'll just let you fill that out the way you would like to, Matt. Yeah, the the injury news that I think is going to be front and center is starts with Tim Parker. He left the Sporting Kansas City match at halftime due to a lower body injury. He wasn't at training on Wednesday, but he was at training on Thursday, working out separately from the team, running pretty hard. Uh, but it's it's going to be Friday in the press conference and then into the weekend to see how he responds. I can almost guarantee that Carnell is going to say, we hope to have him available. We hope that he will travel. We're going to run another test on Friday or Saturday before we go out to see how he responds. That kind of scenario. I'm, I, would, I would bet a lot that he's going to be listed as questionable on the player availability report this weekend. And it kind of is all going to ride on... Um, how he's probably able to pivot. It looked like an ankle injury from what we saw on Instagram this week. And the fact that he was icing it up on, I think that was Monday, didn't train on the first day that City trained Wednesday, but back with the team on Thursday, good news. Even better news is Nico Joachini. Shoulder injury that happened after the FC Dallas match. Um, He was on the bench for Sporting Kansas City. He was, I'm sorry, that happened in Orlando. Uh, Let me correct myself. Nico Joachini's injury Mm -hmm. was against Orlando. 
missed the FC Dallas match. He was on the bench for Sporting Kansas City at training on Wednesday. Things seem to be progressing well for him. The fact that he was on the bench, despite the fact that he didn't see time against Sporting Kansas City, tells me that he's available enough. And with another week of rest, I think he, he should be in the clear. I hope to see him off of the player availability report. Um, you mentioned Anthony Markanik. Do we know anything more about what's going on with him? No, we do know that it was like a muscular calf injury is the at post game. So things might have changed since then. But I know he wasn't able to put weight on it. But, um, you know, I haven't seen reports about that being worse. I don't know. Do you know, has he been in training this week? If so, then I, I think he'll be fine. I, I think he was I, he wasn't a notable absence. I haven't been at training this week. Uh, okay. I'll be there on Friday to be able to figure out who who's in and who's out. But without Markanic, you're looking at back to Kyle Hebert at left back yeah. uh, almost assuredly. So regardless, if and if Markanic can go, I still think it's likely that we see Kyle Hebert back in that lineup, to be quite honest. Anthony Markanic didn't show me anything overly bad. Um, right. Especially in conjunction with Kyle Hebert at right back. That definitely masked some of the probably uh deficiencies he might have shown defensively because i mentioned he did fold in quite a bit there but you know he's a guy we're gonna need down the stretch yeah and just to kind of plug it since we did it this week matt pollard joined us he's from colorado from the burgundy wave and um holding the high line and uh you know he mentioned that anthony does not have a massive injury history no nothing big to mention there but also you know i kind of thought he was in as an attacking player and you know, oh, yeah. Matt's saying that he's more of a defensive player. At least that's the way Colorado used him. So just something to watch going forward and just give that that uh, episode listen, a listen if you'd like to hear more about that. A little bit of trash talk on Kroenke as well, of course. And Who a little bit about that. Yeah. And a little about the Robin Fraser uh, firing that happened literally the day we did, ended up doing that um, out of luck. So um, you're listening to Flyover Footy on the big 550 KTRS. We, I was about to move us on, Matt, but I forgot we still have have a little bit about the European transfer window being open and some possibilities there. Yeah, uh, we talked last week about Isak Jensen being loaned to a Danish side for uh, for the fiscal year, essentially, but until the next uh, the end of the season. Um, there's my the business side talking about fiscal year, yeah. but the the European transfer window is still open for a few more days, and so we're recording this on Thursday night, September seventh. It would not surprise me if certain things. Uh, we're in the works or con- talks continue that we may have alluded to before. So if, you, if you're if you familiar with Flyover Footy and you've listened to us in the past few weeks, uh, in the past month or so, you know some of the players we've talked about, still conversations being held. So there's nothing to report as far as anything being done uh, and, and definitely no rumors uh, that are you know almost complete. But I do just want to add that the transfer window is still open for players that can go outbound on transfers, on loans, so keep an eye down, uh, an ear out, and be watching social media for any news. Absolutely. Uh, possible movement there. Um, let's move on to LA Galaxy. Let's start talking about them. Matt, you do such a good job of collating certain thoughts and facts about the team we're about to face. So I'd love to hear those now, if you will. It's a familiar team, but at the same time, it's not. And that's kind of one of the exciting things about this upcoming weekend. So previewing the LA Galaxy, coming into this match, St. Louis City SC is still in first place in the West with 47 points through 27 games, 27 out of 34. We have a 15-10-2 record, 15 wins, 10 losses, 2 draws, 53 goals scored, 35 goals against. That's a plus 18 goal differential. And we have a 5-7-1 away record. This is the... Second match of three in a row away, so that away record is important to note. 
Last week, obviously, we lost to Sporting Kansas City 2-1. to Before that, we defeated FC Dallas at home 2-1. to And then before that, we lost away to Orlando City 2-1. to So you're looking at a, um, an ebb and a flow here since League's Cup. Overall, St. Louis City has seven clean sheets on the year. And we're looking to avoid our fourth losing streak of the season. So this is one of those where... They, whether it's a two or three game losing streak, they've typically come on the backs of injuries where we're trying to find our identity without a key player. And so you're looking to right the ship against an LA Galaxy team that themselves are in a bad place in the standings, but do have good form. So the Galaxy come into this match 13th place in the West with 29 points through 25 games. They have a 7-10-8 and eight record with 31 goals scored, 39 goals against. That's a minus 8 goal differential. And they're only 4-4-3 four, four, and three at home. So we always talk about how MLS teams have difficult times away and a lot of stadiums are fortresses for teams at home. Well, the Galaxy have had a rough go at it at home in comparison. And they've had their own issues throughout the season that have definitely not helped their home stadium feel like a home environment namely the boycotts that their supporter groups had with the whole chris klein situation and and the the backlash against the front office that has since smoothed over and so that may have led into their recent run of form where in the past three games they're undefeated since their their re-debut into mls after league's cup last week they drew 0-0 against houston dynamo before that, they had a 3-2 win against San Jose in the Cali Classico. And before that, they had a 3-0 win against the Chicago Fire in their first match post-Leagues Cup. Since May 27th, Phil, the LA Galaxy are unbeaten at home. Their mm-hmm. last loss at home was May 27th against Charlotte, a 1-0 loss. Um, ben Wright, our friend with Broadway Sports in Nashville, has predicted the LA Galaxy to finish with 40 points just outside of the playoff picture, which is just picking up another handful of points on the year. So their their prediction, their ebb and the flow, they're not predicted to make the playoffs. So this is a team that's very much fighting for every single point down the stretch. The Galaxy overall in their last five matches have three clean sheets. So this is a team not just in the last few games since League's Cup, but before that, they've had a good defensive run of form. And since playing St. Louis to a 1-1 draw on June 11th, They've gone 2-3-3 and combined through MLS and Leagues Cup, and then 2-0-1 in MLS play since. So they had, they they continued somewhat of a downward spiral a little bit after that. They had a a mediocre run of games after St. Louis, but then they seemed to find their stride. And they've been playing this entire time without Chicharito, one of the key injuries that we're going to talk about in a minute. But since the since Leagues Cup break has been over and they've come back, they've actually pre- been in a pretty good run of form. Yeah, it's interesting to bring, you know, it, I think Greg Vanny's only been there for two years now, and it's interesting to lose what they've lost. But the fact that they brought in a Greg Vanny and that they got a lot of more practical players when he came in, um, that, you know, I think that can help right the ship a little bit better. You know, when they lose a Chicharito, they can still be competitive because he does push these guys to work hard. I think we're going to touch on that in the stats. Am I going to jump the gun if I mention St. Louis's schedule for the rest of the season here? No, please do. Because that is the scary part here is, you know, it is. We're going to talk about some of the challenges in LA that they might uh, present may or may not, but we're looking at going to Houston away in the next week. 
home against LAFC, the team right behind us. So that's a big game as far as points in uh, the race to win the West. Minnesota away has always been a challenge for St. Louis. Another Kansas City game. We know that's that's up and up for grabs, I suppose, at this point. Uh, Vancouver, you never know, but uh, finishing the season against Seattle is not going to be easy. That's a really tough end of the year schedule, and I just say that because LA Gax- Galaxy is on the rise here, and St. Louis, this could be a regression, a negative regression for St. Louis because. These are really tough players that have come into their own at the right time, um, especially someone like Houston. So, you know, interesting perspectives there, I guess. Yeah, the the rest of our schedule is probably worth a deeper dive. But every single match, even our home matches against LAFC, against Sporting Kansas City and against Seattle Sounders, two of three playoff teams, one team that just beat us. There are zero easy teams, zero gimme Mm -hmm. games the rest of the way for St. Louis City. And we've seen, I think throughout the season, we've seen teams at the right time for the most part. And I think it's catching up to us finally. You know, we didn't see Messi again, you know, against, we're the last team to beat Miami. Is that still true? That's, uh, I think they lost uh, one game. They might have drew, but I've I've tried not to keep up with Messi as much as possible, to be quite honest. (laughs) We've also haven't seen Emmanuel Reynoso from Minnesota. So there are other teams getting key players in. That's happened a few times for sure. But let's talk about some of those injuries to L.A. Galaxy because it's not a short list we have here. No, and this is what I was alluding to about how we played the L.A. Galaxy. When we played the L.A. Galaxy, it was without Chicharito. He suffered his season-ending leg injury, a torn ACL in his right knee on a non-contact play against Real Salt Lake just four days before we played the Galaxy. So this was it was heartbreaking for fans in St. Louis, to be honest, who Mm -hmm. wanted to see Chicharito uh, play in St. Louis. But they they managed to draw without him. And so he's still out. It's a loss for them, obviously. But they're missing a lot of other players. And especially recently, they've had some knocks picked up by some of their key players. And so one of the interesting stats I have in a few minutes is related to the lineup that the Galaxy have found consistency with in the last three games. And it's been pretty marked in who they found consistency with. But their player availability report for last week and coming into this week looks pretty bleak. Uh, they're missing... Uh, Gaston Brugman in their midfield with the torn meniscus. He he was injured since the St. Louis game. Uh, Martin Caceres with an avulsion fracture in his left knee. Douglas Costa, who had just returned against St. Louis last time, is expected to continue to be out with a dislocated shoulder that he suffered after the San Jose Earthquakes game about a week and a half ago. He's still within the 10 to 14 day window, and it doesn't sound like he's going to play either. You also have guys like Jalen Neal who was questionable last week and is probably going to be questionable this week with a groin injury suffered at the end of the gold cup. So he's, he's possible, but he's a big, a big force on the defensive end that they might not have available again. And they also have a couple players out on international duty, Kelvin Leardham and Eric Zavaleta uh, defenders who some of them have been regulars, Some of them haven't, but they're missing depth and that's where it's key. The big one though, to be honest, is this past week, Lucas Caligari suffered a, a knee injury I believe he came down hard against Houston uh, last week, had to had to leave early in that game. Very questionable for this weekend. Talking to some of the guys who cover LA Galaxy over at News Across Galaxy, they're not they're not confident in Caligari's ability to play this weekend. And so with fans expecting him to be out with him not training much this week, um, that would be a huge loss on their defensive end because he is one of the players who's really driven their their formation and and really driven their possession based offense from back line um in the past three games 
Interesting. And yeah, having Jalen Neal out too, he's a pretty good yeah. passer out of the back. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, I'm excited about the key players uh, for good and bad reasons. Um, it's a fun team to talk about and it's unbelievably disappointed, disappointing in some other ways. But let's hear about, you know, I think Dijon Jovalic is one of my favorite players in the league to follow. And I constantly forget that he's a U22 player because he looks and plays like a grown man. So he's a fun one to watch. Yeah, and and he's just uh, he's a firecracker out yeah. there, and, and he doesn't. The we're going to talk about how the Galaxy have been moving the ball up the field and what their passing network has looked like. But he plays pretty tight and compact with the midfield, and mm-hmm. so it's an interesting look to have a player like him out there. Some of the, I mean, there's a couple of players that are worth watching and worth knowing their contributions, like Tyler Boyd, uh, number eleven, their forward, who's their leading goal scorer with six on the year, second in shots with forty four and shots on target with seventeen. Um, Diego Fagundes is a new signing for the LA Galaxy. We're going to talk about how he arrived in just a minute. But you could really stop and start with Ricky Puj. I mean, he yeah. is he is the engine. He is the force. He's their six at times. He's their 10. He's their eight. He basically drives everything about their offense. He's designated player. He, he has a designated player contract now. He's their number six midfielder. He's second in goals on the team with five. He's tied for first in assists with seven. He leads the team in shots with 71 and with shots on target with 28. Leads the team in key passes with 46, the second highest being Mark Delgado with 33. Hmm. He leads in pass attempts by more than 300 and he leads in pass uh, or completed passes by more than 300 and pass attempts by more than 100 on the season. So in a span of 25 games, you're seeing him touch the ball five or more times as far as passes more than anybody consistently every single game and completing just a market number more than everybody else. If if we can shut him down, if we can figure out a way to stop him from progressing the ball at the field, but also from distributing the ball, that's going to be the biggest key to the game. And that's why I mentioned earlier the, the St. Louis deficiency against Sporting Kansas City that I saw mm-hmm. of swarming a single player and leaving others open. That, to me, is the biggest thing to watch for, is how will we look to shut down Ricky Puj and will it leave others open for him to facilitate to? It'll be interesting to watch. I think early in the season, especially I noticed with, with Tim Parker, would just like bomb forward from the back to kind of break up a play. And you knew for a fact that if someone squeezed that ball past him, that it was on the game. It was going to be a shot at the very least. And, you know, over the... <laughs> progression of the of the season i've gotten less and less worried because he just finds a way to stop every ball and so um you know i almost said this earlier against kansas city that i thought when i left the game i kind of forgot the order of the game i thought boy it really killed us that we lost tim parker but at the same time the goals came when tim parker was in the game maybe part of that was that he was injured but um i don't know but yeah really good thing to watch with with Puj. And, you know, it's just like, will we be able to overcome them with the press over the possession? That's kind of, yeah. yeah and, and how will we shut down someone like Pooj? That's kind of a, a game. That's, you know, that's a head coach and assistant coach kind of a question, isn't it? It very much is. Yeah. And so that's some of the honestly, let's like I, I let's pivot over to some of their style of play. I think that's a good lead into that yeah. and seeing what the the strengths, weaknesses and styles for the LA Galaxy are. They're typically in a four, two, three, one formation, sometimes a four, one, four, one, where they're having Jovalich up front and they kind of have just a single pivot going on. But we touched on it, Phil, that their style is possession based. 
They lead. They are third in the league in overall possession with averaging 55%. St. Louis, by comparison, we know doesn't like the ball and are, in fact, last in the league in possession with an average of 44%. But the LA Galaxy, the way that they do their possession, and this is why we touched so heavily on Sporting Kansas City to begin with, because there are direct lessons to learn. The Galaxy side maintains greater than 50% possession through their attacking midfield into the opposition half. So the, the first few uh, the first few areas on the opposition half, they maintain 50% possession or more in those areas. So they progress the ball possession-based into the attacking end. Um, they also possess the ball down both wings to the space just before the end line. So we're talking that greater than 50% possession all the way down both wings, both far wings. And that's how they, they get the ball in there not unlike a Columbus or Atlanta does, and they're right up there with the most possession of, of those couple of teams. In terms of the sequence time and how long it takes to build up an attack, they are the absolute slowest team in terms of sequence time and the buildup of possession mm -hmm. in MLS. They are the only team to average over four passes per sequence in all of MLS, and they're the fourth in the league in number of 10 plus passing sequences. So we thought Kansas City, with their uh, a couple games ago, they were setting records of 20 plus passes, multiple sequences. This Galaxy team does pretty much the exact same thing. Yeah. They will consistently move the ball around the field. And we saw this against St. Louis in the first go round, where they were content with moving the ball around the pitch and trying to find spaces to be very mindful of when they're going to push the ball up the field. The interesting thing with this, though, with this slow possession based, with this methodical movement up the pitch, is they're still middle of the pack in terms of direct speed. So where they bide their time and they figure out how they want to move the ball, they make these really short, quick passes a lot. They may pass the ball around a whole lot, but they're quick in their ability to progress the ball up the field in comparison. So they're not like Sporting Kansas City in the sense that they may, they may move the ball around and have switches for a little bit and then eventually have some overlapping runs in their wings to move the ball up here and there when they find a way to attack they'll attack very quickly and that's where the tight compactness in their midfield comes in i looked at their passing network phil in the last three games and they have some they have similarities to city in the sense that they have two center backs that stay deep and they push their fullbacks pretty high up the field but unlike city they're very very compact the only player in the last three games that's really been wide in any sense has been Raheem Edwards, their left back. Mm. He's often been seen as a left wing back or even a left mid, I would describe his average position, where he's out on the left side and, and you see that how that could juxtapose with a, a right back, a player like an Akeel Watts high up the field defending everybody else from Puj to Delgado, even to... Um, even to somebody like Jovalich, who's who's very much underneath next to the midfield. They're all very tight, compact, and moving the ball around so quickly, so consistently throughout the midfield that they they run this little diamond or this little triangle in the midfield with their midfielders. And, and it's all very well connected, but it's all very compact. And that's where, that's where St. Louis has to be very careful in how their press works. Because if the ball progresses to the midfield of the Galaxy and we start to start to try to press them too hard and get ourselves out of spacing where we bring on two, three, four players like we were talking earlier. That's how you get yourself exposed in the back end and they can move the ball up the wings where they do like to on both sides and find space behind you. 
Absolutely, and I wish we were on a TV show. I mean, and I wish I had the skills to do three or four things at once instead of like two, uh, because I would put this passing network on the screen. It is so informative. It is so obvious, more so than any I think I've looked at this season, um, because I don't know. There's one of these. Let's see who's that against. It looks like it's against uh, Houston. I've never seen a right back more narrow. I mean, he's he's in line with the outside of the the forty uh, the goal. Uh, oh, that's San Jose. Sorry, San, San Jose. Jose. Yes, that no, was that's that is Lucas unbelievably Caligari. narrow. Yeah. Yes, that's Lucas Caligari, and that's the kind of positioning that he can bring when he's in the game. He's often more vertical to their center backs than he is trying to create width out wide. Unlike uh, Raheem Edwards on the left side, who will be wide for days he'll be basically off on the bench that's how wide he is but when Caligari's in he's more of a direct almost a tucked in midfielder as Mm -hmm. opposed to a fullback or a wingback and that's how they can we love to talk about Bradley Carnell's asymmetrical shape for City well they have somewhat of this weird funky formation where it's almost like it's um it's it's like a fishing pole so to speak where you're talking about Jonathan Bond their goalkeeper is is the, the the part you're holding? I'm not a fisherman. I don't know these terms. <laughs> but when you when you have the, when you when you toss the rod, you have like your right side is is the fishing rod, and then everything else tucks in underneath of it. It is, and we'll post this to social media because I think it needs to be seen. These past yeah. three games where the passing networks just to see what we're talking about. It's it's very striking in how high up the field Raheem Edwards, their left back, plays. In, in a way to stretch the field for their offense as opposed to doing anything for their defense. It's not unlike how Akil Watts is employed at times, but it's so it's just so overt in what they're doing with him. Yeah, it's clearly meant to put defenses off balance. And I think it, it benefits St. Louis in that I think they like those clumps. It might hurt them in that it might create more opportunities for them to escape some of those those, you know, those outnumbering charging defenders that St. Louis does when they press. Uh, but yeah. at the same time, I think it's, it'll help them that they're so compact because St. Louis likes to keep their back four pretty compressed in the uh, pretty narrow in defense. But also I think this is just made for there to be someone to miss and for them to finally get an unbalanced, you know, outnumbered uh, city in some way. And once they find that um, that three versus two or two versus one in any part mm-hmm. of the field, that's where I think they look for it. They pass it around until they find it and then they go direct the second they uh, find it, um, which would back up everything you just said as far as stats and things. So that was really fun to kind of see those things combined. The last stats I want to throw out at you because Matt laid out how like Sporting Kansas City this team is. And again, another stat that lined up with Kansas City is that they are first in dual percentage. And that's even better than Kansas City. And I think we were saying that, you know, they may or may not be as good at possession compared to Kansas City. Well, they're better duelers. And in my opinion, that's what I think St. Louis lost in that last game more than anything else. And so that's something to watch is can can St. Louis uh, weather the storm? Can they win those those pressing moments? Um, Or will LA Galaxy escape through better dueling? Um, this is that practicality that Greg Vanny has brought to the Galaxy. It's not winning the league or anything, but I do think it could win a game like this. So, Yeah, and, and they're particularly strong on duels on the ground. I think that's that's one of okay. the big keys. And the, the battles that we're going to see in the midfield are really going to highlight that. 
when when you were talking, Phil, about our, our backline and some of the overloads that the Galaxy might be able to employ on us, I have overloads. Uh, I could not think of that word. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have flashbacks to scenarios where City fans know these all too well. Well, you'll have one of our center backs will step up a little too high, and then all of a sudden the second center back is caught in that 2v1 type of scenario where that's a transition defense that I don't particularly like for St. Louis because they that's how so many op- opportunities have presented themselves against us. Tim Parker will step up. Josh Arrow will be stuck um, tracking back if if it's a turnover or if he doesn't regain possession or something. And when you have the midfield and the even the, the forwards of Boyd and Jovalich so tightly compact in a space where I would argue it is one zone of the field that has five players with their average passing position, if you have that occur and you're able to beat a high line at the midfield area, hmm. then bad things can happen. And, and it, whether it comes from Raheem Edwards out left, uh, sending in service, or whether it just comes from a Ricky Puj build to Boyd or Jovalich, I don't like the I don't like the potential matchup that creates um, to our center backs and in the midfield. I see I see Jabulu Blome as being the key to all of this hmm. because his average position is pinpoint in between all of these players and so yes how he goes in this game what he's able to do to disrupt this exact passing network that we're talking about is going to play such a huge factor in our ability to not just um try to score goals and get the ball but also to remain even and to prevent everything that they build through the middle with I hope that's true. I hope he keeps really busy with defensive work. I hope he gets to kind of feel comfortable in his game and gain confidence because uh, I do still think he's a little been off a little bit. And, you know, I think Leuven's going to be next to him unless we play a diamond formation. But if Leuven's next to him, I hope he doesn't get pinned back. I think that's something to watch for. I don't think he will. I think that's why we have Hebert kind of staying back all the time to let Leuven go forward no matter the situation. But that's just something I think I would watch for as well. Um, do you have more keys to the game here that we can do before we or is, was that it? Should we do our predictions here? Yeah, I mean, some of the, uh, some of the keys that we didn't talk about are uh, I think we need to have successful builds and counters from our deep positions because we know, uh, and this is not unlike what happened in Sporting Kansas City. I just want to see more consistency to it. I want to see more of it. And it's the same type where you're having possession-based uh, team you're facing and you're going to be caught in some of those deep positions regularly. I mean, it's just by design where St. Louis wants to counterattack. St. Louis wants to invite teams to possess, turn the ball over, and then we can counter. The more success we have at just pushing the ball up the field, the the better we'll be. And whether it ends in a shot or whether it ends in a, a shot on target, that's almost secondary because if we can have the volume of that, of moving the ball up the field in counterattack manners, I think we're going to be successful eventually. And by doing that, I think we need to we need to create overloads ourselves, right? Like so we talk about the push points between Joachini or Klaus initiating them and then our other midfielders assisting. Well, I, I see a, a very big opportunity for the ball to be won in the midfield, even the defensive midfield of St. Louis City's, and then progressed high into where we can have numbers very quickly. We just talked about how uh, Lucas Caligari likes to be very high up on the field, and the Galaxy do have two center backs that stay deep and everybody else does something a little higher up on the field. That's an opportunity that St. Louis city hasn't really seen too often. And I think it's going to be a really good Mm -hmm. opportunity if they invite the ball um, deep enough into their own zone to do something with it. 
Great. Well, it's that time of the show. I think we're going to give some uh, proposed lineups here and then perhaps predictions of the score. This is my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the show. So let's let's start with you, Matt. Yeah, but I, whether you want to say it's by design or not, I didn't write one down. So these are going to be entirely off the cuff. And I think I'm going to end up talking myself into certain things that we've said throughout this, this show. And that's one of my favorite things. Yeah. I love... I love thinking about things new in new and different ways as we're talking about them. And so I'm going to go with um, this is the assumption Parker is returning. And if he doesn't, I think it'd be Parker for Yarrow. Kind yeah. of, oh, that's Agreed. an easy sub. But I'll go Berkey, Hebert at left back, Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, and um, Akil Watts as our back line. Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven in the midfield. And then I the more I was talking, I was going to go a 4-2-3-1, but I actually think... I'm going to go with a diamond mm-hmm. and I'm going to have Leuven as our 10. So okay. Blom is the six, Leuven is the 10. I'm going to say Stroud and Vasilev on the, on the wings, on the, the left mid and the right mid respectively. And then our two attackers will be Klaus and Thorson. Okay. Yeah. That's a fun one. That's a fun I, one. I dig it. I was debating Thorson or Alm or a Deneron mm-hmm. um, or, or Joachini. That's the, the the wealth of attack that we have now. But um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's because we're going to give Joachini a, another game to rest or because I felt like Thorson had a strong game against Sporting Kansas City. But I, I like the way he could feature there on the left side. Yeah, agree. Um, I, um, I don't care for... Leuven at the 10. I've been pretty vocal in our DMs about that. Um, I I think I like him deeper. I just think he's better there. And for some reason, um, Azeel Jackson at the 10, he doesn't have to score. He doesn't have to assist. But just by disrupting everything and coming back and defending, he does a serviceable job there and one that seems to be working for the team. So I'll do for now 4-2-3-1 with the only difference is Azeel Jackson at the 10. Klaus up top. I think he starts this one. And I want to go back to Alm and Stroud for this game because I do think they're going to just be terriers throughout this game and just nip at the the Galaxy players the entire time. I think the turnovers, the high turnovers, are going to be very valuable against a team like this. And so I want to see that happen. I think Thor is, for me, more of someone we want to bring in when the defense is compact. we got to unlock them. Um, I like love seeing him in that position. I think he's won a game for us already since he's been here in that mm-hmm. kind of play. Um, I didn't like how he played in Sporting Kansas City, personally. I don't think he was the right tool for the game, I guess, is what I'm saying. I wouldn't mind seeing Joe Akini and Klaus up top and just pulling Azeel Jackson and just going for that. Like And it's just part of that conversation of what is our starting 11. We might want to start figuring that out now if Bradley Carnell thinks that it's Klaus and Joe Akini in the playoffs. We better start practicing that again now and getting used to it. If not, the mainstay is Azeel and I think Klaus on, through the end of the season, um, just watching athleticism and health and injuries. Uh, but that's what I would go through uh, the rest of the season and for tomorrow night as well or Saturday night as well. And I know everybody's listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS, but tune into the wind down on our full podcast episode because we will be touching on exactly what Phil just said. I have some thoughts and I'm saving them for our podcast. So tune into that if you can. Lovely. All right. Uh, predictions real quick and we're out. What do you think? I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. No, I'm with you. I'm going to go draw. Sorry. 1-1 draw. Yep. 
which I would take. I mean, they, they stole two points from us. I think a point away is always good in MLS, and that'll help further us, further cement our position, um, you know, in this in this playoff push. A, a draw away is nothing to bat an eye at. That's it from us. Again, Flyover Footy, we're on the big 550 KTRS. Thanks so much for joining us. Please check out our podcast if you're enjoying this. If you'd like an extended episode, we got multiple episodes throughout the week, and this episode will be longer if you check it out there. So please do. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Go City. Everyone, welcome back to the wind-up. It's begun. Uh, Cheers. Cheers. I. You know, what are you drinking there? Uh, I've been. I've been. Part of my job is rehabbing apartments. I'm a plumber, but I worked all day yesterday in black mold, and I didn't wear a mask like an idiot. So I feel like crap today. <laughs> and so whiskey on the throat kind of sounded nice. It's a bit sore. This is Phil uncensored here. Yeah, and my asthma has been pretty bad. So I made a. a Manhattan on this like vintage glass I bought recently. I like it. Good for you. Yeah. Oh, but what do you have? What do you have? Oh, I'm. I just went back to the well. It's uh, another urban chestnut. I gotta get that. I had. Uh, I had another Oktoberfest. I won't say who because it is local. It's not as good as. as uh, urban chestnut. <laughs> urban chestnut had their. Uh, I wasn't able to go um, tonight when we were recording this, but they had because I was coaching my kids' soccer team for the first uh, or second practice, and yeah. Urban Chestnut had like a pre-launch for their Oktoberfest, which is coming up. I'm very excited. It's one of my favorite events. This is borderline what we talk about before and after podcasts. I want to ask you about that coaching experience, but I think we should we should get to these questions first. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that again. It was actually a really good night, so I was kind of riding a high. So awesome. Let's, yeah, but before we do the questions, real quick, because mm. I, I, I want to get to the comment you left off with on the radio portion, which was about our best 11. And there was a question that was posed to multiple podcasts on Twitter today about... Um, do we see Carnell running out our best 11 on Sunday against the Galaxy? And that kind of led into, like, what is our best 11? And so there's a lot of conversations about individual players and formations and all the things like that. The, the interesting thing that I had looking at the rest of the schedule, and you touched on it earlier in the recording, is it's a difficult schedule, yes. But it's not just difficult in the teams that we play. It's difficult in the days in which we play them. And so we just finished a stretch of three games in eight days, and we saw rotation as a as a result. Mm-hmm. We have the Galaxy Sunday. We have Houston Dynamo the following Saturday. But that Houston Dynamo game starts another three games in eight days. Mm-hmm. So we have the Dynamo on a Saturday, LAFC on a Wednesday, Minnesota United on the following Saturday from that. We have a week-long break until Sporting Kansas City. But then we just have a, another Wednesday game after that against Vancouver. And then we have a week and a half break, and it's the Seattle Sounders. It's a it's a messed up schedule as far as regularity goes the rest of the way. And so all of that comes back to, I, I don't know what our best 11 is right now. I don't even know if Carnell knows or even cares to know what a best 11 is, quote unquote, or hmm. if he's playing matchups, playing form, playing the hot hand like he often says he does. But... To me, I, I really only see maybe three games left where we could truly see a 
best 11, quote unquote, with no consideration for fixture congestion or rotation because of that. And it, it's going to be the Galaxy match this set, this Sunday. It's going to be the Sporting Kansas City match on September 30th. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the Seattle Sounders match on um, Decision Day, the last game of the season. And it's because we have the three games in eight days starting with Houston. So whoever we roll out against Houston Dynamo, we have to have considerations for who's going to play midweek against LAFC. And then the same thing cascades for considerations for Minnesota away. Will home and away form play into that? You bet it will. It always does. Same with uh, needing to rest some legs. So you're going to see consistent rotations there, here, here and there throughout the lineup. Sporting Kansas City, we have a week break. And then I think I think that game is going to be focused because A, it's Sporting Kansas City. B, it's at home. We have a week break after the Minnesota United match. And so Vancouver may be, may be a rotated lineup, depending on where we are in the, sta- in the standings, what we need. But, you know, that's that's not that many three matches left where we don't have really fixture congestion or rotation to worry about to see a lineup. It all starts with the LA Galaxy, and that's why I'm very excited to see what we roll out with them. Random thought as you were saying that, you know, set pieces have been huge for St. Louis, and I was so excited to get Nilsson and Parker on the field at the same time. But with the injury and with the birth of his child, I think they've only been mm-hmm. together for maybe a half. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Nilsson has started two matches. Yeah. Um, Orlando, Orlando and Sporting Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So Parker was out against Orlando because of, uh, of, of the birth of his child. Mm-hmm. It's not a whole lot of time. And that kind of goes to the point that I was making about their our core six or our spine of six. So one or more of those players has been out at some point to where we haven't been able to see them. And that's been really unfortunate. And I, uh, in the chat, Mark had mentioned only a few positions are up for debate. And I do think it's those five positions, Hmm. but they're important positions because those are, those have driven a lot of the conversations in fandom. Like people constantly talk about Jared Stroud. He's a very polarizing figure yes, he is. in the online fan base. Yeah. Um, same thing with Kyle Hebert at this point. As far as uh, people wanted to see Anthony Marcana get an opportunity, unfortunately he got the opportunity while Hebert moved to right back and didn't do himself any favors how he looked. Um, Akil Watts, you can make an easy argument that he's our right back through and through at this point. And, and where do you sl- – our attack is quite literally any man – can f- fill in at any yes. number of positions. Like I mentioned how I think I, w- I would like to see Thorson and Klaus start together against the galaxy. But at the same time, I really wouldn't mind at all. And I would enjoy seeing Klaus and Adeneron, Klaus and Alm, yeah. Klaus and Joachini, or having Thorson drop back into the left mid or a, a, a formation that might look, and this is something I touched on a fallout with Santi is Rasmus Alm as a right wing back. Think about that one for a minute, because yeah. Alm has typically been a right mid, right winger type of a player, second striker. Does that remind you at all of any anybody that um, might be familiar with, maybe on a U.S. men's national team level, <laughs> compared to what he does for club and country? Yeah. Maybe a Timothy Weah? Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't mind if, if Alm fell into that kind of a, a, a role for St. Louis City, which opens up a whole lot of opportunities for a three-center-back look. Even someone who reminds me of Alm has always reminded me of Alm. I think mainly because of their stature, the way they play, and like even the way they look. Is Paul Ariola is exactly the same kind of player, and he's played some right wing back for club and country as well. 
Um, but you know, I want to challenge everyone's thinking on, on what is our starting 11? What, um, what positions are up for grabs? I don't like to, for St. Louis, I don't think of it that way. I, I, I don't blame anyone. I'm not saying anyone is bad for thinking that way, but you know, St. Louis is different. They're a pressing team. They're an athletic team. They're a team uh, that will get worn down if they don't rotate. And I think, you know, how how often do you see the same pair of wingers play two games in a row with St. Louis since the beginning of the season? It rarely happens unless it's necessary because of injury or whatever. Um, and so that's a position that is just heavily rotated in general. When Klaus isn't a dead-on starter, you nailed it. You know, it could be Sam. It could be no- Joe Akini. You just never know. It could be Alm, for goodness sake. So, And now we got Thor even in the mix. And so I, I think... Now that we have a little more depth, now that we know who's kind of in the top roster and who's not, I think Bradley has a lot of tools that he's able to plug in based on our opponents. I'm looking at Minnesota, and I'm thinking about like the way Sam Adinaran plays. He is, I know he's a big guy. I know he had a lot of headers when he came back to us, so that's really good in a bunkered team. But he's way better in transition. And so if we think we're going to get a lot of transition moments, I think he's going to be a really good player. I think Stroud and Alm are especially good for that. I mentioned Nukvi is going to be someone we might want to play against someone like Minnesota, who's going to sit back and just wait for us to make mistakes and then capitalize. So, you know, like I think in Marcanic, you look at where we put Hebert, right or left side, which attacking player, uh, fullback are we going to put in? That's a plug and play position as well. The 10, Ostrak. Leuven, um, even Vasilev has been plugged Easy. in there. You know, it's just really cool. We'll be able to watch like the thoughts that Bradley and his staff, even Lutz, um, thoughts they have on who should play where and why and the rotation in lots of games coming up, as you said, Matt. So I'm excited to see it. And again, I, I think that spine is there, Matt. I think you're dead on with that. But I don't think we should see like we have a best 11 for the rest of the season, even through the playoffs. I think it's going to be plug and play and who's going to be the right guy for the situation. And, and plugging and playing consists of AZ or Ostrak at the 10. Vasilev was very successful at the 10 earlier this year, yeah. so can't count him out of that conversation. And so you're, you're able to have some of these midweek matches where people will call them rotated lineups. But a rotated lineup that consists of Tomas Ostrak in the starting 11 Remember where we were this time last year thinking, oh, my God, I can't wait till yeah. Ostrock is out on the field for us. He signed he, he signed to a big contract like he's one of our highest paid players on the team. Mm-hmm. And I think he's just one of those guys who everybody keeps getting an opportunity and running with it. And he hasn't quite found that footing yet. And so he's been more of the guy who comes in at 70 minutes and is able to run all over the field against people and create chances because he does that consistently when he enters the game. He's kind of carved a niche out for himself in the later minutes of the game. But that's that's the rotation we talk about. It's bringing in Thorson. It's bringing in Ostrak. It's bringing in a Deneron or Alm. Like th- this is quality depth. So I that and that's why I defend the rotated lineup so fervently online is. Yeah. I see guys, I see all of those guys come in who you wouldn't necessarily name them as a regular starter if you were going to, but the quality and the level of skill that they all possess and the success that every single one of them have had at various points throughout this year points to, it doesn't matter if you call it rotated or not, they, they've had success and they will continue to have success in this system. Absolutely. 
So I think that's a, a cool way to kind of view the rest of the season. And it's really fun. It's cool that we have a team that rotates a lot. I like it. I prefer it, to be honest with you. I love seeing these guys that in a lot of teams wouldn't see the field and they're getting, you know, 500 minutes or more this season. That's so much fun. Uh, Matt, I want you to choose the first question because I think you've read over these a little better. And so I'm kind of curious which one you want to go with first. I want to start with Salio Pompeu and City 2. Yes, this is a fun That seems question. to be a, a pretty hot topic here lately also because um, Salio is a player who had found his way to the first team quite consistently uh, in the midway points of this year. There was a, a span of games where he was starting pretty regularly when Klaus was out. Um, definitely found himself subbing into the lineup regularly. But now he's featured for City 2 in the past few games. And City 2 has had a lot of success recently in MLS Next Pro, but there's been a lot of, I guess, confusion around why Salio has been dropped from the first team to be down with the second team. And uh, the, the first thing that came to my mind, honestly, is are we shopping Salio? Hmm. Because we, he's the third player, I would argue, that was moved down to City 2 somewhat regularly here recently. The first player that we noticed was Selmer Pedro. And Selmer Pedro was a player that had transfer rumors or loan rumors attached to his name for the past month or so. We haven't been able to move him. And he is one of the players that I was alluding to keeping an eye on just because his name has been out there as an option. He's our third, maybe even, yeah, third left back at least, maybe even our fourth left back at this point after Hebert, Markanic, Nelson, and now Pedro. So coming in with the expectations that we had of our first signing, you expect him to slide in as a starting left back. Now he's fallen to fourth on the depth chart. We just signed Markanic. The writing seems on the wall that he needs a move to see more playing time at a consistently high level. And so Pedro we saw with City 2. The next player we saw with City 2 was Isaac Jensen. Jensen started same same almost same scenario as Celio Pompeu where Jensen had a span of games where he's he's kind of a sub, he sees some minutes with City but he never really cracks the consistent starting 11 and then all of a sudden during the transfer window he's down with City 2. And then suddenly he finds himself loaned out to a Danish side uh, for the next year. And now Celio Pompeu finds himself with City 2 as well, almost concurrently with that timeline. I, I Zero rumors that I know of. This is pure speculation, 100% mm -hmm. speculation just based on that kind of a trend. But I wonder if the, the consistent playing time that Celio is seeing down with City 2 is because they're, they're shopping him or they're letting him showcase himself for potential suitors, whether it's for the rest of the calendar year or the rest of um, the, the club calendar year until next June. I don't know. That's just the first thought that came to my mind when people are talking about why is Salio down with City 2? Why not Tomas Ostrock or why, other random names of players who might be playing the bench or not seeing minutes? Why not? Uh, we've seen Bartlett down there once or twice, but why not these other players? Salio seems like he's one of our more exciting players who's had a lot of success. And I'm not going to argue with that because he has been been extremely exciting, extremely successful at stretching the field and very physical with the ball. He's one of our best pressing attackers. I think, I think it was Justin Horniker had a stat that he is, is one of the top five in um, like presses per 90 wow. or something in MLS. It's a, it's a crazy stat at his level. I remember and so, seeing that now, yeah. Yeah, that type of a player where I think, okay, that's why we might be seeing him down with City 2 recently. And a timely comment uh, from Mark in chat is, is loan season over. You can't loan season for MLS is over in the sense that you can't bring players in. The transfer window is closed. 
but the transfer window in certain European countries is still open. And so that's what I'm talking about of there is there's a certain a few countries. Uh, Turkey is one of them, I know. And there's a, there's a couple handful. There's a handful of other countries whose transfer deadlines aren't for another few days, I believe. So, I mean, this is coming up quickly. So by next week, this entirely this entire conversation may be outdated or shift to something else, depending on what we see Salio start to do again. I just wonder if that is a, an overarching factor and why we're seeing him in particular with so many minutes with City 2 now. Yeah, and I, I actually am curious. Like, I wonder if they shopped everybody. Um, I do think Jensen makes the most sense to be shopped, um, especially somewhere back to uh, Denmark, his homeland. Um, where he's comfortable, a league that I think he's very capable of thriving in. Um, and he wasn't, while he looked good with City 2, he wasn't productive. And, and numbers are, are everything when it comes to that. Uh, because I do think perhaps Johnny Klein might have put himself higher than him on the depth chart, depending, no matter what his standing is in the roster officially. Um, but I think now that Jensen is gone, I'd like to just present another option in that they needed to get rid of one attacker uh, because these guys can't just sit the bench. Bench Celio can't retain that level of talent and quality if he's not able to keep playing. And so one or the other probably needed to go, and the other one was going to take that City to uh, regular playing time spot. So I think that's more likely it. I think if a winger went down, I think Celio would be the first to plug it. Uh, plug that hole, you know, Thorson coming in, even it might have forced this necessity for a loan. So um, I think Celio, I, I, I want to say too, that I think it'd be good for him to be shopped. We talked about city two players that maybe should be loaned to a, a better team, like a USL championship team at the very least. Mm-hmm. Celio should have been in that conversation, right? Because he didn't look incredible in the first City 2 game. The second City 2 game, he looked like a ringer. He had two assists in that game, I think. And so yeah. it looked like he was doing whatever the heck he wanted on that field. So that level's a little too low for him, in my opinion. He should help that team into the playoffs and on, hopefully. Uh, but, you know, I think he would be better served as a player if he's not needed in the playoffs to go on loan somewhere else, even early next year. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and, and that's, like I said, next week is probably going to shift some things. So if we see Salio with City 2 down the stretch, that may mean something entirely different than saying, seeing Salio and Isaac Jensen and Selmer Pedro with City 2 over the past month. Mm-hmm. Because I, I firmly believe that the past month or so has been a showcase time for certain players. Isaac Jensen, obviously. Um, Selmer Pedro, wholeheartedly believe. And I do think that may be a reason why we're seeing Pedro see some time at center back. Like, there's no yeah. there's no coincidences, especially this big in soccer. And so you've got a transfer window that's open. You have potential suitors for Selmer Pedro, and then all of a sudden he starts playing center back. Like, right. come on. That's a little too on the nose for what could be going on. Yeah. And again, zero zero knowledge of any kind of uh, happenings or close to anything. This is pure speculation, but it just seems like that was a very sudden move for Pedro to start playing center back the past couple of games for City 2. And it, it seems like there's more to that story than just uh, we need him to fill in at center back when you've got you've got other center backs available on the roster. Yeah, we have too many center backs, right? Yeah. You know, like yeah. John Bell probably should be there. John Bell, Lucas Bartlett. Yeah, like exactly. No. They're the Celios of the defensive side, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, a couple of things. Yeah, I, I didn't see your comment there. Chris Gebhardt um, on YouTube saying, I didn't see this when I said it earlier, but Parker Nilsson have played, what, one half together. So I think I, I might thought, have been yeah, right Yeah, I thought this was the you were building off of because they <laughs> spot on with that. Um, so, yeah, they maybe they need to build the relationship. Maybe that's another thing about the Sporting Kansas City game. So that is a, a good point. I'm mostly thinking about I would love one or both of them to get. I would love to see both of them get a goal down the stretch. <laughs> Not just one of them. Both of them get a, uh, a set, set piece pieces. goal. Yeah. Both of them being on the field at the same time for set pieces has to be something they're looking forward to in the future. Um, there's a lot of talk about this extra time, I guess, is starting to... Uh, I liked that Mark Alavernia said that um, extra time thinks Boyd is going to walk all over us. I didn't hear it, so I don't know if that's how it was said. But uh, Boyd is kind of my favorite punching bag because uh, the guy looks good and then he just does not finish. Matt, you, you, I smiled as you listed the stats about Tyler Boyd, like the amount of shots he has, and he's got six goals, and how many of them were on goal... Um, boy, I mean, he's not a guy that scares me. He looks scary until he shoots. And I said that about a few players actually this year that have made me eat my word. So I hope that doesn't happen here. But um, I, I don't mean, know. last time we the last time we played was the match after um, Chicharito went out and Tyler Boyd had zero shots. It, it, he he was just wasn't a factor in their offense against us. So I don't mm-hmm. know where they're coming out of he's suddenly going to be a huge factor or be a game changer other than the fact that he may have had success recently in against other teams. I just don't like, he's their leading goal scorer with six goals. That's that's not noteworthy. Like Joao Klaus has five goals and he hasn't played in two years. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like the, the, this is, this to me is just another reason. Um, it, it's another excuse to, make good on previously estimated standings and positions. Like there is still that narrative that St. Louis shouldn't be doing what they're doing. And, and part of it is very much so some pundits who are still staking claim to their previous Mm -hmm. positions of St. Louis isn't for real. If you've ever been on Twitter after a big city win or a big city loss, follow our friend Manuel Beth, follow Matthew Doyle. One of them will be making a comment one way or the other <laughs> to back up previously made statements. Manu's a very ardent supporter of what Lutz and St. Louis is building. He's made so many claims of this style is something MLS hasn't seen and it's working. And every time St. Louis wins, it's being backed up. And Doyle doesn't miss a beat. And for some reason, his face just popped up on FB Ref while I'm looking up here. It's like uh, he doesn't miss a beat when he's talking about he's taking opportunity to take shots at City. Hmm. And it's because he stakes such a claim preseason to them finishing poorly. He had articles on MLSsoccer.com. I mean, he 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 took his shot as a, a writer and an analyst should a national person who doesn't follow every single club boots to the ground. He took his shot. He was wrong. And on the glimpses in which he has the opportunity to be right, like a St. Louis loss, or maybe you're looking at highlights and you don't see anything redeeming about St. Louis, he'll take that as an opportunity. It's frustrating from a local perspective to continuously have those shots taken when you're not having similar shots taken, I think, in regularity about LAFC or the Seattle Sounders or... uh, or the New England Revolution on the opposite conference. But 
I think it's it still goes back to the fact that people are looking for St. Louis to stumble and they're waiting for it to happen so that they could say, see, I told you so. Yep. Yeah, I think they're going to be uh, hoping for a, a down second year as well, just to hope that it buys them some kind of uh, I've already, clout. I've already seen it. People yeah. are already saying, <laughs> just wait until they're the next Austin. Um, this is going to be real disjoint. I'm being a bad host here, but I want to take it back to City 2. Um, I've noticed this too, and I'm surprised we haven't talked about it yet. The fact that Miguel Perez hasn't seen much uh, senior team time recently since kind of everybody got healthy basically um and even as city two minutes are starting to dwindle just a little bit um that's no big deal to me but what do you think matt yeah I, that was one that kind of caught me by surprise i think it's it's not just that i haven't been paying attention to what he's doing with city two but city two has been winning so regularly mm-hmm. and so i don't know if that's a case where you have the priorities of trying to get guys minutes that are you're you're wanting to send out um, the consistency you want to see from guys like uh, Max Schneider, who's who has been the consistent person, Max yeah. Schneider and uh, Michael Venzel. They've played an overwhelming amount of the most minutes for City Two, and and that's kind of where Miggy slots in, right in that in that central midfield where Max's position is. And so you have you you do have this this congested area that it. it I think it's more so they have a different plan for Miggy, like something specific to Miggy as opposed to he doesn't fit into a lineup that is winning. So they they prioritize individual player reasoning for City 2. That's pretty mm-hmm. obvious. They'll give minutes to like Tyson Pierce um, at key moments in his uh, development. They, they've spotlighted Caden Glover, um, Johnny Klein, Faisal Batachi, they've they've seen significant minutes, and I think all of those players have upward trajectories with City. Um, you have Isak Jensen, you have Selmer Pedro. You don't have Owen O'Malley, and you don't have Miggy Perez lately. And Owen O'Malley's had his own issues throughout the season, which kind of make me think, again, with no inside information on this comment, that he's not in the long-term plans for City. But Miggy Perez, I just think there's something different happening with him, whether... He has something going on in his his life that he's, he's he's focusing something else for the moment, or if they're maybe looking at him on the UPSL level for the time being, to hmm. maybe readjust his 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 trajectory. So the, the people people like to comment that Miggy Perez wasn't ready for uh, the amount of minutes he received for City. That com- I've seen that comment a lot online. Is that uh, he was he was there because we were injured and yada yada. And then I wonder if it's not necessarily that, but it's that there's a an opportunity that the staff has seen for him to see more meaningful minutes elsewhere. And I, I do want to look at the UPSL schedule when I get a chance to see um, if he may be, or when it comes out, because I don't know if it's out yet, to see if he may be on that roster as well. Because that's, like, if, if nobody's familiar with the overall structure of City and their academy, you've got, obviously, the first team. You've got City 2 and MLS Next Pro. But last year they rolled out the UPSL side, which is essentially a U23 team, I think. might be U21, but I think it's a U23 team. Um, there's no age restriction, but that's essentially what it is. Mm-hmm. It's the gap. It's bridging the gap between the U17s of the academy and City 2. So you have the UPSL side. A lot of guys who graduated from the academy, um, instead of getting signed with City 2, they moved there first. And so they were they were spotlighted a lot heavier there. It's a, it's almost an academy pipeline to get to that point. 
and then see who can be signed for City 2. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't surprise me if, if Miggy Perez saw some minutes there. Um, but otherwise, I don't know. Very interested to see where he ends up for the rest of the season. Yeah, maybe a good question we can fit in toward the end of the season, um, depending on what happens in the playoffs. But uh, I, I want to fit in right there that Nolan McGuire has, um, you know, Rivas has been such a mainstay, reliable right back um, in the absence of O'Malley. And the fact that Nolan McGuire has been able to, I think they plugged him in once or twice to give him a shot, and I think he's kept it. That's very admirable, and I think he's looked very good in that position. Also reliable, and um, I'm, I wanted to check his age. He is 18. His birthday was um, June 26th, so he's at 18 now. Uh, I'm not sure what his plans are next year, but it's really cool that he got so much time with City 2 and that we're going to be able to get to see him uh, play and do so well if he's headed to college. I mean, I need to look that up tomorrow, but he's been good. So, I'm still I'm still excited that that's a consistent pipeline City 2 is seeing yeah. is the the academy guys and their continued shot. Um, there's there's a we're starting to see the, the names stack up for who's taking advantage of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another City Two. There was one more question about City Two. What player was it? Batache. Batachi. Yeah. What do you think about his outlook is for next year, Matt? I think he's playing himself into a City contract. I've Wouldn't been saying. You. I don't think he's ready for next year, maybe mid-season. He'll definitely get the Johnny Klein treatment at very least, right? Like, yes. give him the yes. max amount of senior team loans um, in the season. I said the only thing holding him back was not scoring goals. Well, now he's done it. So I think he's forcing the the question now. So great yeah. question there, Chris Gebhardt. That was a good one. And he's scoring from all different all different portions of the field, all yep. different kinds of goals. He he can he can receive the ball just outside the box, turn to face net, and just score. I mean, he can flick the ball in. He can strike from distance. He can move from a wing position inside very quickly. I think he plays off of Caden Glover quite well. Yes. And I, Johnny Klein, Caden Glover, Faisal Batachi are some of the most exciting attackers that you're gonna see for City Two, and they're consistent. and even when. Even when Kazan comes in, like they all yeah. seem very interchangeable and happy to play with each other. It looks like a fun, a fun attack with those guys up there. And I, I just want to say, like, when we this is like massive. If you're like a top to bottom St. Louis City fan, like academy to the senior team, right? Bottom academy to the senior team. When you see a player come in and you see them struggle or see them like not have something work of any kind. Um, I love when I can critique something and then I can be like, well, that got fixed or something clicked in this player. Seeing it click in real time, watching a player figure it out. This is just the second year of City 2 and we've gotten to see this guy in less than one season struggle with something and figure it out in real time. Like to me, that is like, that's why you stick it out. That's why you watch City 2. That's why you watch the Academy. That's why you study these players who might disappear into nothing but then again maybe they don't right that's the fun so for me Vitachi is the first player that i've seen struggle and figure it out and now he's forcing the staff to ask questions about his his time in the senior team next year it's fun yeah and and he's I, his backstory is cool too coming from qpr he's one of those guys right. that loots pulled from a european league that he Wild. was he was not not wasting away, but he was he was floundering, and nobody really took a, a significant chance on him. And just like Michael Venzel, those those guys 
are now getting an opportunity to shine at a potential pathway to a first division team. Yep. Yep. Glad you brought that up. That was a fun one to talk about. Anything else you want to talk about, Matt? I think we got time for like one or two more kind of topics here. Uh, yeah, I just looked up the UPSL roster, and Miggy Perez is not on that. So uh, my thought that he might see time there. I don't know if even you can play for the UPSL if you have a pro contract, now that I think oh, about it. I He's not on that roster for the fall, and so whatever is going on, it does not seem to be related to um, that. I didn't really say anything about Miggy. I, it's definitely not something to worry about. Um, he might have even kind of hit his like physical demand at for someone at his age for the season, and they're kind of taking it easy. Could Maybe be. not. So I think sometimes I've seen multiple um, 18-year-old and under players. I can't think of who I'm trying to think of right now. They kind of hit a wall like two or three, two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through the season. And he hasn't looked as special um, toward you know the last couple starts, and as well as even a city two playing, he hasn't been bad by any means. But I mean, the, he's a kid, and he's still figuring out what it's like to play in these leagues. Sometimes these guys like destroy in their first couple of appearances, and then something weird happens, and, and they stop being quite as effective. Who knows? Who cares? Well, this is like a player for our future. It is, and that's a really interesting thought because we know how um how much city is a stickler for the analytics mm -hmm. and how data driven they are and that would not surprise me in the slightest for jared phillips the director of sports for performance and for his staff to not put a minute's restriction on miggy but to just be evaluating his progressive fitness throughout the year and say the load that you've been under this year we're tapering with a plan to unleash you in a new a new and different way next year. Like he's under contract now for a long-term contract, right? So he's a homegrown player. Mm -hmm. We wanna make sure that he's long-term able to go. And he's already garnered the eyes of the youth national team. You know, there's, there's projections of what he can do in the next few years. And so with the wear and tear that he's been under, and the unexpected stress, I think, to his body this year, because I don't, I doubt anybody expected him to play the number of minutes that he's played, yeah. especially at the level of MLS this year, and yet it happened. And yeah. so they could be looking at this holistically as, you know, something, something that he needs to time away, or they're they're holding back and they'll unleash him here soon. Um, you know, Mark in chat said Perez commented on a post, "See you soon, St. Louis," mm -hmm. and so could be back it could be one of those things where there's a period of deloading and then and then you progressively load yourself back up that that could be all it is and it's nothing to read too much into absolutely not agree anything else matt one more topic or, or you, you feel like we've covered we've covered a lot today and it's been really fun yeah there's a comment about blom um no issues with blom right now the only thing with blom that i've really been just trying to keep an eye on is is the heat because that's kind of the persistent thought about Jabulu Blom and everybody's talking about his passing and his um, the, the way he moves on the ball. I think his defense, nothing's really dropped in the past few games, but it seems like he's been a little lacking on the ball. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if it's more so the humidity and the minutes that relate to the consistent wear on his body that that's related to. I don't know. I, I just am excited for a little cooler weather in general, mm -hmm. and it wouldn't hurt on that front either. Oh, today and yesterday, what? 
Oh, this is the good stuff, guys. We got to soak it in while we can in this in this state. I don't care if it's false fall or not. I'll take it for however long it wants to last. Oh, I bit hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> if we get another 90-degree day, I'm going to be so depressed. I know it. Uh, but that's Missouri life. And the kids love it, too. That's that's the thing. It, yeah. I was at, at practice tonight. Like All the kids were much more active than they were last <laughs> week. They were loving life a whole lot more than they were for that 98-degree weather. Yeah. Oh, man. Jonathan Himmelberg. Asking about men's national team. We were going to touch on it. That's why I wore the USA jersey. Um, I don't think we have time to talk about that. Didn't they do a, a scrimmage or like some kind of training? Did Miggy take so, part in that or did I misread that? So City was off training until Wednesday. Like okay. In the schedule that they send out, um, they were off days on Monday and Tuesday. That's why I think the national team practicing those couple of days at City Park, I don't think there was an overlap. I didn't see pictures. I didn't see reports. Mm -hmm. Nothing about a combined training or any scrimmage between the national team and City. I think it was mostly, we're not using our facilities for these few days. You use them. Um, you know, we'll, we'll split time, but nothing cohesive. I, I, I do want to point out how cool it was for this week. Soccer capital conversation aside, because we don't have time for that. And <laughs> I don't you. want to get into that. Anymore. Agree. I think it was just cool how Greg Burhalter invited out all of the alumni, the local St. Louis alumni to the national team who've all had caps to show up, to take part in things, to just be there around the national team again. And just that that familial experience that they all had. That was really cool for Burhalter to do, to invite all those players. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's just been fun to watch this week. Agree. I can't. It's destroying me. I can't make it to that game. It's my son's birthday party. I didn't do well there. So oh, that'll do it. Yeah, I'm going to miss it. But um, national team scheduling didn't do well there. Come on. I know. I mean, at least it's the first team. I would have loved to see the first team uh, play yeah. no matter who the opponent is and, and when and how and stuff. But it is what it is. I hope you guys are able to enjoy that game uh, without me there. Enjoy it for me. And, uh, yeah, that's it. That's all we got for today. That's the wind down. Thanks for listening again. As always, thanks for the questions. Really great stuff from yeah, you guys I absolutely today. love it. Thank you, thank you guys so much for asking because it, it true. I, I don't care about tossing everything we wanted to talk about to the yeah, side. Same. These are great questions. Really appreciate it. And it brings me so much joy to be able to talk about them. Agree. All right. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See ya.